This is the data privacy detective, uh, and it's August the 10th, 2018. Midterm elections are coming up, and today to talk to us about uh, the security of data that we share with our state governments and election security uh, with us today is, is Trey Grayson. Trey, thanks for joining. Glad to be here. Now, Trey, you were elected at the time the youngest uh, person, youngest person to serve as Secretary of State of a state of the United States. So, congratulations on that. That was the Commonwealth of Kentucky. Yes, yeah, I served two terms as Secretary of State uh, of Kentucky, my home state. Uh, was elected in '03 and then re-elected in '07. Very good. And uh, after that, uh, you've you've held some interesting positions for three years. You're up at Harvard on their Institute for. Uh, politics and you've been on a, a nonpartisan, a bipartisan presidential commission on elections and had quite a variety of experiences dealing with uh, personal data. Yeah, it's one of the things that I'm really happy about is that I've been out of office now for seven plus years, but I've still been very involved in elections and election uh, databases, voter registration systems, how you voted, things like that are some of the most critical pieces of data that we collect and keep as a, as a country fundamental to democracy. Yeah. And today you're with uh, Civic Point, which is a public policy firm, as well as with uh, a law firm of uh, Frost Brown Todd. Correct. Yeah. And I've actually been doing some election work uh, as well as uh, traditional government relations and law. Very good. And now, uh, recently Microsoft issued a, a very interesting report. It's called From Policy to Practice, Strengthening Cybersecurity in State Governments. And you shared that with me. Thank you for doing that. And uh, states employ over 16 million people and then they deal with the data of maybe what 330 million people so states deal with a lot of our information yeah they really do it's uh, you know they you know, why did why did the bank robber rob the bank because that's where the money is well what you know if you're trying to do identity theft or undermine democracy what do you do you go where the data is go to the that's states. where that's where the data is yeah. so well how secure are the personal data uh, held by states it's you know it's not as secure as it could be. I mean I think it's that's a, a fair statement. Um, fortunately, states are working to improve that, uh, especially in light of the 2016 presidential election and uh, pretty well documented efforts by the Russians to meddle with our democracy and meddle with elections. It really was a wake up call to states and to the country as a whole. Yeah, and, and we're not going to talk about fake news and all that issue today, but but there were documented uh, efforts actually to get into voter lists and maybe affect elections, and maybe they weren't successful, sure. that's what we think, but uh, certainly it's a risk. Yeah, we think they weren't successful. Um, there's three in elections in particular vulnerabilities. One is the voter registration list. You could create chaos on election day if that list weren't accurate or had problems. Um, not to mention the fact that some of that is sensitive information. You also have the election machines themselves and the vote count. Could you mess with those machines and the, the security there? And the third is the reporting. So maybe the list is fine and accurate and the voting systems are fine and safe. But if you were to mess with the report, and we all know, uh, and we had this, we're recording this on a Friday, Tuesday, there were a couple of big elections, a special election in Ohio and a governor's race Very in Kansas close votes. That are very close. And people are watching as results. Where are the results coming in? Are there changes? And, you know, one county in Ohio accidentally didn't report a part of a precinct. About 600 votes. Yeah, yeah. And in a 1,200-vote race, that's significant. So you could, there's, those are three areas in elections that we're very concerned about making sure that uh, we protect. Now, I was struck in, in the Microsoft report, they said that only 18 states require cybersecurity training uh, of, their, of their personnel. 
What do you make of that? <laughs> what is that, about 32 too low? <laughs> um, fortunately, I'm, I'm sure and I'm confident that uh, more states are, are doing this, uh, but it ought to be a requirement. I know, at least in the election arena, that many of the Secretary of State's and State Board's elections are rushing to get those kinds of trainings in place. Uh, for this year, but then also the challenge and Microsoft focused on the state level, but in elections where it's a it's usually a split It's a county or a township or a city role as well And those are probably even more vulnerable and less uh, with less training than at the state level Yeah, would you agree? It's usually people that are the weakest link in this whole cybersecurity uh, Apparatus it, it is people you know at, a, at our, our law firm We're being trained to make sure that we ourselves don't click on the wrong links and then do things that uh, expose our clients to, to problems that uh, they shouldn't have. You know, when elections, the good thing about our election system, that one of the things that makes it so resilient is it's so decentralized. You know, every state runs elections. We don't have a single federal database. We don't have a single federal, you know, mandated voting system. Um, and then it's decentralized from the states to the locals. And that's great. So you could, in fact, we've kind of walled off if there's ever a problem, we can minimize the, the loss. The if there is damage, it would be limited maybe yeah. to a county or yeah. at one state at most. Yeah, and that's also a deterrent. If you're a bad actor and you want to come in, especially now that we have nation states playing and they can play at a different scale, that may deter them from trying certain things. The downside of that is there's so many entry points. And as yeah. you said, the individuals are the weakest link. And you know, in a small county in Ohio or Kentucky, uh, all it takes is one person who has access maybe to a state-wide database uh, to, to click the wrong link, to answer the phone in the wrong way, um, and all of a sudden there might be some access. Now, are, are, we have to supply uh, our per, some of our personal data to vote, to get a driver's license, to apply for Medicaid, all sorts of things. But are there, are there some steps that individuals can take if they feel they uh, that some of their data really shouldn't be shared beyond government itself? Is there any way to kind of protect that yourself? So in many states, California was the first, I know Kentucky has this as well, uh, certain categories of individuals have the ability to keep their voter registration data private. So you will vote absentee, for example, but you would be able to vote in the right candidates, the ones who are on the ballot in your district, uh, but nobody could find out, like no campaigns, for example, or no other, nobody else who might have the ability to go online, for example, and type your name and birth date and find out if you're registered to vote. Nobody else could track you down. So for the first example would be victims of violence. You know, folks who had restraining orders were worried about um, ex-spouses or boyfriends who they were They don't want violent. somebody finding them. They don't want somebody finding them because um, they're protected. And a good ex and the need for this came when, you know, 15 years ago, we all thought it was a great idea to make it easier for people to look up online, are you registered to vote? And we can't make it too hard. So in Kentucky, for example, first name, last name, birth date, you get the voter registration information that's public anyway. We just made it a little bit easier. Well, that also, if I'm the ex-boyfriend, I probably know your birth date and I probably know your legal name, and then boom, now I have your address. So we created these categories, um, some judges, some um, law enforcement officials, some medical providers, people who are being vulnerable, um, states by category can let you opt out. You apply, and, and that way your voter data is kept, um, kept private, uh, but you still get to vote. Okay, and, and generally speaking, how do you think the states are doing in protecting uh, personal data? So they're getting better. Uh, you know, again, this this Russian, um, the Russian, even though this was elections, I think it caused us to think across all spectrum of data. 
um, across all spectrum of state government. We're getting better at it. You know, there's there's some good recommendations like this Microsoft report has. Um, if you are a government official and you want to do a better job, what's good today is that there is clear guidance on what you can do. Um, there's an organization called NIST, National Institute of Standards and Technology. It's a government-funded agency, and they have, they're the gold standard in this area, and they have clear recommendations. Uh, Congress in the election space appropriated um, almost $300 million, only the second time Congress has ever given money to the states for elections, and the hope of Congress was that states would use this for cybersecurity, um, helping the states and the locals navigate and protect that data um, maybe funding some cyber navigators to to provide guidance to to um, local officials so they can do this. Um, so we're in a better place than we've ever been. Um, but the adversaries are out there, and there are all kinds of different types of adversaries. But we uh, you know we need a resilient system. We need a system that can deter, because uh, you can probably never make anything safe, completely 100% safe. So having backups, regular backups, doing employee training. Uh, things like that you can put into place so that you um, um, can do about as good as you can do given the world in which we live. Of course, with data privacy, there's always a balance between convenience, or in mm -hmm. government's case, transparency and openness, yeah. open records, all that sort of thing, and personal privacy. Right. And some balance has to be struck. Well, you know, in closing, Trey, do you think we're striking the right balance as a country, state by state, in this? It's trying to achieve the right balance between protecting people's privacy and transparency and openness. We're definitely getting there. You know, I don't. I, are we there right now? No. Um, but the understanding of the need, the understanding of what to do. Um, but I mean, I think one of the challenges, this costs money. So some of the money we've saved by automating and, and putting things online or, or in the internet or, or even even if it's just sort of um, not on the public internet, on the private internet, uh, we're gonna have to reallocate and bring some of that money back in to, to make it more secure. At the end of the day, that's, we're still gonna be in a better spot. We'll be able to provide better services. Uh, but we're going to have to spend a little bit more money on, on security of all types. Well, let's see what happens at the midterms. We'll yes. report in, and thanks so much for uh, helping us understand this uh, balance between uh, transparency and, and privacy and how states are dealing with it. Uh, remember, uh, protecting your personal data begins with you. Signing off today for the Data Privacy Detective.